For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, as we have been doing the past several weeks, reading verse 1 to verse 12. This morning, we focus our attention on verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 962. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, let us now hear God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As far the reading of God's word, let's ask his blessing in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray, O Lord, that you would give us spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear. What the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching the church of Jesus Christ. Teach us, O Lord, what it means to be peacemakers in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Congregation of Christ, the humble and pure in heart possess a new condition, a new nature from the Lord, and we heard about that last week, the previous beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They receive a new condition, a new nature. Because of the merits and works of Jesus Christ, they have been made pure, made clean by God's grace and the blood of Jesus. And now we have the peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peacemaker is the one who is truly happy, the one who is truly blessed. And as we have been asking, who are these blessed ones? Who is the blessed one who is poor in spirit, who mourns, who is meek, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, who is merciful, who is pure in heart? Who are these people? What are their characteristics? What is their condition? Well, similarly, we're going to look this morning at the characteristic of the peacemaker, the characteristic of the peacemaker, of the blessed one. The Hebrew word shalom is a beautiful word, probably one of my favorite words in the Hebrew Old Testament. Shalom, and you probably know this, means peace. Peace, peace be with you, Jews would say to one another. That is good health, wholeness, Be with you. 
The opposite of peace is enmity, hostility, division, discord. Shalom, peace be with you. May you not know discord. May you not know enmity and division. May you know harmony. May you know peace. Enmity or hostility means that there's division and discord between people, family, friends, nations, between God and man. Jesus doesn't declare that the one who keeps the peace is blessed. Rather, he talks to the one who makes peace who is blessed. Did you catch that? He doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. No, he's not saying that you shouldn't try to keep the peace. His emphasis is on, is on the peacemaker. Who is this peacemaker? The word peacemaker is used only once in the New Testament right here. Who is such a person? Well, the peacemaker seeks to mend the enmity and hostility that exists. And peacemaking is a characteristic of every Christian. Don't forget that. Being a peacemaker is a characteristic of every Christian. Because first of all, the peacemaker knows the peace of God in Christ for himself. That's where it's grounded. Enmity and conflict are the result of sin and evil. And by nature, we are at enmity with God. The peacemaker knows that, that apart from Christ, there is division and discourse vertically between him and God. And God's remedy to sin and evil and this enmity that exists is to bring wholeness, healing, restoration, to remove the division and bring about harmony, peace. And he does this through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, who reconciles us to God. We were once enemies of God, says Paul. Consider that. Each and every one of you, each and every one of us was an enemy of God. And God's remedy is His Son. Now we're going to look into the Prince of Peace in the next point. But we need to go there in this point. The Apostle Paul preached a gospel. A gospel of what? A gospel of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He would tell the church, even the church, he would remind every person sitting in the seat or pew, whatever they had back then, Maybe they sat on the floor, I don't know. He would tell people in the, the, the church, be reconciled to God. That was his message. Don't be at enmity with God. Know his remedy. 
was Jesus. Because only the cross of Jesus bridges the chasm and enmity that exists between us and God. And when we trust Him, when we trust Christ and His work of redemption on the cross, believe that He was raised on the third day, we are made right with God and know His peace for ourselves. Do you know this peace? If you don't know this peace, you can't be a peacemaker. If you can't know peace for yourself, you cannot be a peacemaker. This is the first characteristic of the blessed, of the peacemaker. Another characteristic of the blessed or peacemaker is that he loves peace and hates enmity. He hates the fact that sin and evil stir up and sow discord and division in human relationships, in families, in friendships, in churches. The peacemaker loves peace. He loves the God of peace so much that he despises the cunning and crafty deeds of the devil and the passions of the flesh, so much so that he's willing to go out of his way, do what he can by the strength and power of God to make peace. Because he knows the peace of God been given a new heart, and he wants to see his people, God's people, live in peace. Enmity is exactly what the devil wants. He wants to see you and me divided. He wants to see families broken. He wants to devour and destroy and corrupt you and me. He wants to sow discord. Let us not be naive. Let us not be naive on these things. I think one of the greatest things the devil would love us to believe is that he doesn't exist. He strategically tries to sow enmity in our hearts and minds. And then the people of God bitterly complain at one another, becoming no different than the people of Israel in the wilderness. The peacemaker loves peace and hates enmity. Hates division. And so then thirdly, the characteristic of the peacemaker, he pursues and seeks peace with his neighbor. Psalm 34, verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Go out of your way to pursue peace, lest your heart is hardened. And you and I become complicit in the discord and division. In other words, friends, The peacemaker isn't passive. I'll leave it to somebody else to take care of it. No, if you are a Christian living in Christ's kingdom, you are a peacemaker. And therefore, we ought not to sit on the bench, but to be active in peacemaking. 
You notice that when I quoted from Psalm 34, turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. The good thing is seeking peace. The evil thing is to let it go and ruminate and just cause division and discord. God calls us to not permit enmity or hostility in our homes. Men, men, you're a father in the home. You are a peacemaker in the home. To what extent are you going to make peace in the home? Do not permit enmity or hostility in relationships to go unchecked and unaddressed. An example of this, and I've said this before in this sermon series on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes really, in many respects, are an outline of Matthew's entire gospel. Even on the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are unpacked by Matthew himself in his gospel. Look at me at 21, verse 21 of chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift, now here you go. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, enmity, division, discord, leave your gift there before the altar and go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Friends, that is a beautiful illustration by our Lord Jesus Christ himself of peacemaking. That is a peacemaker right there. The characteristics of the blessed truly model, really, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Secondly, the Prince of Peace. In the coming Advent season, in a few weeks, we're going to start an Advent series, which leads up to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, remembering and celebrating his birth, the birth of God's one and only Son. In the incarnation of Christ, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he was born, who? What was his name? Well, what does Isaiah chapter 9 say? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of hosts will do this. In the coming of Christ, the first advent of Christ, the Prince of Peace is in flesh. 
from Isaiah's prophecy, the Jews anticipated a Messiah who would come and bring political peace. A Messiah who would bring peace to Israel physically. They would have the land promise and dwell in the land in peace from their neighbors. So they looked for a political, earthly king of the Jews who would bring peace on earth. That's why if you ask any Jew, talk to any Jewish person about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, one of the first things they'll tell you is this, I don't see any peace. That's one of the first things they'll tell you. Where's the peace? In fact, I just heard Ben Shapiro just say that in a podcast when he was speaking to a Christian apologist, defender of the faith. First thing he told the apologist, I don't see peace. The Messiah hasn't come. The Prince of Peace brings peace to sinners who are at enmity with God. Oh, he will come again. And the peace of Jerusalem will come. The peace of the heavenly Jerusalem will come. But Jesus Christ in his first coming first dealt with sin, as the author of Hebrews says. He had to come to deal with sin. He had to deal with your relationship and my relationship to a holy and living God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Friends, the Prince of Peace is our superior example of peacemaking. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and following, we read these words. He talks earlier about the Gentiles being alienated from the life of God, alienated from his promises. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through what? The cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer hostile towards God, alienated from the life of God. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I'll stop right there. Through the cross, the Prince of Peace brings peace. Peace between nations, Jew and Gentile, brings peace 
to the sinner and a holy God so that there's no longer any hostility. The law of God no longer condemns sinners because Jesus nailed our sins to the cross. If you're taking notes, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The Prince of Peace. Now listen carefully here. The Prince of Peace is our superior example to peacemaking. You see, Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, secured peace between sinners and a holy and righteous God. But what was the motive of Christ in doing so? What was his motive? What drove the Son of God to assume human flesh to make peace with you and me? That's where I want to go with the Prince of Peace in this point. Jesus Christ denied himself. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. To do what? So that you would be at peace with God. You see what Jesus Christ did in order to make peace with you? And we are called to follow Jesus' example, to be peacemaker, to deny self. And I'll get to that later. He came to bring peace Denying himself, humbling himself, so that he would die for sinners and yet destroy the works of the devil. The cross and resurrection is the climax of human history. When the Prince of Peace came, In the birth narrative of Jesus, throughout the Gospels, the emphasis is on the peace of God and the person of Christ, who came to bring healing in his wings, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, open the eyes of the blind. He is peace incarnate, and his kingdom of peace is come already, because you, Christian, know that peace. And because you know that peace, be peacemakers. He will come again. He reigns at the Father's right hand until all the redeemed of God are saved. And he will come again. And the peace of Jerusalem will come with him. And we will be with the Lord forever in that kingdom of peace. Lastly, the promise of Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus promises that peacemakers shall be called sons of God here. The meaning of sonship in the Bible is very rich because it conveys the meaning of several things. It conveys the meaning of identity. To be a son is to be identified with the father. 
It has the meaning of, of belonging. You belong to a family, belong to your Lord. But it also has the meaning of inheritance. Because you are God's son, you inherit the promises. That's why you have son of God and not son and daughter of God. Now, daughter is included in that. But the rich biblical language of sonship makes that point clearly. That our identity and our belonging and our inheritance is in God through Christ. And therefore, we have the legal right to God's inheritance, the Father's inheritance. Christians have become sons of God by way of adoption through faith in the eternal, natural Son of God, Jesus. God saw that we were alienated from Him. He knows our frame. He knows our weakness. And because of His great love for us, He sends His Son to lay down His life for us so that we are brought near, we are adopted into His family. Christian, you are sons of God. And as sons of God, you and I are called to imitate our God, called to resemble our Father in heaven. This means we become more and more like our God, like Father, like Son. You may have had somebody tell you, perhaps, Wow, you look more and more like your dad every day. I remember when you were a little guy and you started growing up, you took on the mannerisms of your father. You began to look like daddy. <laughs> and maybe if, if you're like me, I never want to be like my dad. <laughs> and then lo and behold, I became just like him in many respects. May not be a bad thing, right? How are you like your Father in heaven? How are you like your Father in heaven? Are you becoming more and more a peacemaker? Because God promises that the peacemaker shall be called sons of God. The peacemaker is truly blessed and happy because he functions in the family of God in a way that is pleasing and glorifying to God. And he is a blessing to his or her neighbor. One commentator wrote, there is something God-like in bringing peace to people and people to peace. Let's say that again. There is something God-like in bringing peace to people and people to peace. Now, are there some who are less inclined to be peacemakers than others? Suppose so. Some may not have a personality that lends itself to readily making peace, but that does that leave that person, that excuse the person? No, because every Christian is called to be a peacemaker. There's some who feel more comfortable to address hostility in relationships than other people. I suppose so. The call of the Christian remains the same. That he who is God's son or daughter is not to be passive, but to make peace because he is God's son and daughter. 
young people, children, the sooner that you learn and practice what Jesus teaches in this beatitude, the better equipped you'll be in the future. Say it again. Young people, the better you understand and practice what Jesus teaches in this beatitude, the better equipped you'll be in the future, particularly in your relationships, in your home, with a perhaps future spouse, church family. Adults, how are we doing in this department? How are you doing in peacemaking? Well, as a doctor practices medicine and a lawyer practices law and a CPA practices tax laws, athletes practice their sport, Christians need to practice their faith according to the word of God. And so how do we practice peacemaking? So if you, have, if you have your notes, if you flip it over, you'll see I have five quick points of application here. I've said this before. I want to expound on it a little bit. First, don't focus on self. If you and I focus on self, then it becomes about you and me and not about the issues at hand. If we focus solely on personal attacks, this will hinder the peacemaking process. Any attack on a peacemaker is just a diversion from the real heart issues of that person attacking. By way of illustration, church elders, the church and its leaders are just to be peacemakers. We're called to manage the household of God well. Just as a father is called to manage his household and maintain peace. Because when you have a household, you have sinners. Like you and me. So too, leaders of the church are called to rule well over the household of God and be peacemakers among the body of Christ. And oftentimes they can become the targets when they are the peacemakers. Well, elders, church leaders, it's not about you and me. It's not about self. It's about the restoration and reconciliation of the sinner. And the moment we make it about self is the moment in which the peacemaking process is hindered. This beatitude is also taught in Matthew chapter 18. Think about Matthew chapter 18. If, if somebody offends you, what do you do? You go to the person who offended you. If that person will not accept you or receive you, you bring another person, so there's either two or three people with you, to confront that person. If the person who offended will not receive those people, then you bring in the church. Let me ask you a question. What is that process? What is that process? It's peacemaking. 
Isn't that what that is, Matthew 18? Matthew 18 is the process to make peace. And therefore, it's not about self. Again, I use the example of Christ, who gave his life sacrificially. Secondly, speak less and listen more. The process requires good listening skills to discern the heart issues and address others with the word of God. And this requires a working knowledge of the Bible. Christians, how well do you know and apply the word of God in your lives, in your homes? James provides profound wisdom. Interpersonal communication requires the following wisdom. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Speak less and listen more. Thirdly, love indiscriminately and pray diligently. The peacemaker goes out of his way to bring restoration, which includes not holding biases or hearing one story without hearing the other story. Is there conflict and chaos in the home? Is there enmity or hostility in your relationships and friendships? The peacemaker loves with a pure heart and love delights in the truth. It's about the truth, which leads to the fourth. Promote the truth and don't compromise it. You see, being a peacemaker, being a peacemaker doesn't mean that we compromise the truth. It doesn't mean that we make peace at the expense of truth. Rather, it upholds the truth. Because there can be no true peace unless the truth is exposed and brought into the light. Now, as I've been reading through Matthew several times the past couple months, you may recall when Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Where does that come from? Wait, I thought he's the prince of peace, but he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. What is going on there? Well, in the context, Jesus teaches us that his way of peace to sinners will be a stumbling block and obstacles to others. That the truth will offend the truth will become an obstacle. The truth of Christ and the peace that he brings will become an obstacle in families and relationships because where there is sin and evil and selfish ambition, there will be conflict. But the peacemaker seeks to win people over to the truth by speaking the truth and not peasing others with with half-truths or trying to keep the peace by leaving things out. Promote the truth. Don't compromise it. Do what you can to make peace. And as the Apostle Paul says, insofar as you are able, make peace with all men. When Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, he's not saying that we have to, it's up to us 
to bring about the transformation, to change people's hearts, and to create that peace. No, he calls us to be active, to seek out peace, to make peace. The actual peace itself is up to God. He brings peace. We are responsible for pursuing peace. Lastly, last point of application, desire to uphold the glory and name of Christ. This is the ultimate hope and prayer of the peacemaker. The desire of the peacemaker isn't to pat oneself on the back Hey, look what kind of job I did. Look how great. I, I brought these two together, and it, man, we're, it's looking good. Now, God uses people as mediators of his truth and gospel, but the glory of Christ and his great name is our chief desire. That is our goal as peacemakers. When two people are reconciled, when groups are reconciled, Christ's name is glorified. It is exalted because Christ, by his spirit, brings the healing and restoration. He brings the peace to sinners. And he employs his peacemakers to be ambassadors of peace in the church, in the home, and in the workplace. If you are a confessing and professing Christian, I'm going to close with these last words. Now hear me well. If you are a confessing and professing Christian, then you are a peacemaker in God's kingdom. And we are to strive for peace in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, in our relationships, in our nation. And this requires a self-examination of our hearts, asking the question, am I going to be a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Are you going to be a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Let us strive to be peacemakers, looking to Jesus, who not only laid down his life for our peace, but shows us the way, the way, the example to being peacemakers by his very life and testimony and witness. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray that the gospel of peace in Jesus Christ would bring about transformation of our own hearts. Forgive us, O oh Lord, of the sins that we hold against others or the enmity we feel toward others or unfinished business that we have toward our neighbor or family member or friend. May we leave our gift at the altar and go to our neighbor in love and seek and pursue peace. Because your peace, O oh Lord, is what we need. Your peace, O oh Lord, in Christ, is everything that we need to be sustained in this life.
and in the life to come. Your peace shows us that in the person of Jesus Christ, we ought to imitate our Savior and Lord, our Father in heaven, by seeking and pursuing peace with our neighbor. And so help us, O Lord, to practice peacemaking, praying persistently, seeking your glory and name to be upheld and honored and glorified. Because indeed, the church glorifies your name when the people, when brothers dwell in unity, in peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.